1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Wesley Weerson. He's the founder and CEO of Leah Labs. The website is com. We're talking about uh, curing cancer in dogs. So, Wesley, thank you for coming.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about Leah Labs today.
1: Yeah, I spoke to uh, a veterinarian named Barbara Royal, and uh, she told me that I guess the cancer rate in dogs is. Uh, I don't know, hovering around 50%. Is that uh, anywhere close to accurate?
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, about 50% of dogs uh, over 10 years old die of cancer, and about one in three dogs total uh, die of cancer. So really, um, I mean, we all have a dog, or we all, you know, have a family member that has a dog, and uh, the odds are uh, pretty great that that dog is unfortunately going to be afflicted with cancer someday.
1: That's crazy. I mean, you know, I know dogs uh, age faster than people, but uh... Is this a recent statistic? I mean, has it been like this for many years or is this uh, increasing recently? Uh,
2: no, I, I think it's a recent. St- uh, uh, I mean, it, the, the statistic is new. Um, it's just coming out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this has been around, you know, uh, uh, since we've kind of had dogs. Um, so really, I think the reason that it's becoming, you know, uh, talked about a little bit more is just because uh, uh, the dog population kind of continues to rise. So, you know, around 90 million dogs uh, in the U.S. right now. Um, and the amount of money that we spend on our, on our companion animals and, uh, you know, our, our furry, furry friends, um, also continues to rise. So it's up to 72 billion right now, um, in the U.S. alone. So, uh, I think, you know, a number of factors kind of are, are really showing people, um, how many dogs that there are in the, in the U.S., you know, and, and how much is spent. Um, and then that's really kind of, uh, bringing to the forefront uh the amount of cancer that is that's is found in dogs um and and also um you know the the translational model that dogs are for cancer in humans um uh, back in the early 2000s uh the in the NCI National Cancer Institute um and the NIH National Institute of Health kind of launched this one health model uh where what we learn from uh treating and studying cancer in humans can also be translated to dogs and then vice versa so really i think it's just a number of factors uh, that really kind of are driving uh you know to people's interest and, and people's knowledge the fact that cancer is really a pressing issue um in man's best friend.
1: Well again do you think the the rates of cancer in dogs is increasing or it's just being reported uh more often nowadays or is it just
2: because we have yeah, more yeah, dogs with cancer but No I, I think it's just being reported a little bit more I mean the as far as I know um, I'm I'm no veterinarian full disclosure but um as far as I know that you know the rates are are about the same um, of course you know true bred uh, uh, Dogs continue to to kind of rise, and so of course that brings um, some of their own uh, problems with you know inbreeding all these dog lines and kind of you know we're we're creating mutant dogs really. Um, so that that maybe is is affecting the the cancer rate, but as far as I'm aware, uh, really you know cancer has kind of always been an issue. Um, it's just kind of being more obvious uh, and more talked about now.
1: So what's the premise of Lea Labs? What uh, how are you planning to intervene and help dogs?
2: Yeah, you bet. Uh, so. Really, Leah Labs was founded uh, for a number of reasons. So um, in order to tell that story, I kind of have to give a little bit about my background. Um, So I just finished my Ph.D. from Iowa State University um, in December. And during my time there, I studied gene editing technology development. And so what I found um, and what we filed a patent for um, is this method of putting DNA into the genome um, at specific sites. So I'm sure you've heard of CRISPR or the, the listeners here have heard of CRISPR. Um, And so, really, CRISPR is just a tool, you know, that allows us to cut DNA. Um, However, uh, what happens after you cut the DNA is really what the important part is. And so, for the the moniker, it's kind of like editing a Word document. And so, what I found um, is that using CRISPR, you know, I, I developed this technology that allows us to put in new paragraphs into an already built essay, such as the genome. And the new paragraphs we uh, to to recode the DNA.
1: So what what is the premise of uh, Lea Labs? How do you want
2: to make an intervention in uh, cancer in dogs? Yeah, it's a great question. So Leah Labs really was founded um, to bring cell therapies to dogs. And so uh, you know there's been recent uh, you know big news on CAR T cell therapy, which is um, FDA approved now for humans to treat lymphoma and leukemias, and uh, a lot of research is going into treating other types of cancer. And so, uh, this really works quite well in, in human cancers that are, uh, relapsed or refractory to general, uh, chemotherapeutics. And so Leah Labs was kind of founded to really take that great success, um, and then translate that into, the uh, to dogs. And so really, um, in humans, it's, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is one of the types of cancer that CAR T cell therapy is able to, uh, induce remissions and, and maybe we could even say cure in some cases and uh dogs get the same type of cancer it's called B cell lymphoma mm-hmm. so really lea labs was founded um to be a company to kind of translate some of the success of cell therapy in humans and bring that to dogs and then of course there's a whole uh whole conversation to have about um the reasons why we we may want to cure cancer in dogs um so we can, we can talk about that, too.
1: Well, it seems uh, obvious why you want to cure cancer in dogs. I mean, at least for the dog owners and the dogs themselves. But are there other reasons that, uh, you know, haven't been mentioned? Would it be a good yeah, policy so, for people? I mean, what, what's the other reason?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, really, you know, how dogs, how I mentioned earlier, how dog is uh, a really nice model for cancer in, in humans. And so um, we're able to treat dogs that have cancer, that have this type of cancer, B-cell lymphoma, Um, and if we treat them with CAR T-cell therapy, we can actually study how that works um, in dogs and then be able to translate that back into humans. And so um, a a really good example of that could be um, in humans right now, there's a lot of toxicities involved with CAR T-cell therapy. And so the idea here could be that um, if we use the dog as a model to study how to mitigate those toxicities. Uh, or how to entirely avoid those toxicities, um, we could then you know, learn how to treat humans uh, for those toxicities. And the way this is done right now, um, it, it's not really done very well. So the way current CAR T-cell therapy is developed um, is using immunocompromised mice. So we have mice that are in the lab, they have no immune systems, you transplant in tumors, and you treat them with a CAR T-cell therapy product. Um, and then you either are able to kind of cure that mouse of a of a transplanted cancer uh, or not, and then you kind of move that along down the line and end up uh, you know eventually treating a human with that um, however you're not able to see those toxicities until you get into a human and so using the dog to kind of bridge that gap, um, we can not only you know cure cancer in dogs and and have uh, a really great impact on the world, but then also turn around and amass a lot of clinical data in a very relevant system um, that then kind of goes back and then informs humans uh, as well.
1: Well, I've heard, though, that T cell therapy is like a million dollars or hundreds of thousands for one person. Mm-hmm. So how would how would that happen in dogs?
2: Yeah, so the average price uh, is around, you know, 400000 or so right now. Um, and then when you factor in all of the other ancillary costs um, to actually treat a human, you know, you get a this 750000 or so. So yeah, uh, there aren't very many dog owners in the world who would be willing to spend that, though I'm sure that there are uh, a few. However, um, there's a number of reasons that the CAR T-cell therapy in humans is, is very expensive. So uh, one of them is the fact that they generate their CAR T-cells with the use of virus. And so every single dose of CAR T-cells that goes into a human right now, um, it costs about forty dollars to $50,000 just for the dose of virus that's used to engineer those T-cells. Um, and then on top of that, you have to uh, generate a manufacturing plant that is GMP grade for that virus and for the entire process, which costs, uh, you know, 50, 100 million dollars uh, to build the, to build that manufacturing plant. Uh, and so all of that has to then be amortized over the, the life of the product. Um, and not to mention just uh, the fact that this is all autologous therapy right now. So you take cells out from a sick human, you engineer those and then put them back into that same human. So those are some of the reasons why it costs about, you know, $400,000. Uh, however, Lea Labs, really, we're, we're doing a totally different thing. So, so we use gene editing to reprogram uh, the T cells, number one. And number two, um, we're generating allogenic CAR T cell therapy. So where humans are being treated with autologous CAR T right now, we're developing allogenic CAR T. So that's another reason why we're using dogs. Or, or another great um, thing that using the dog can help us model is uh, how to use allogenic CAR T cell therapy. Uh, so the, so those reasons really kind of drop the price point for us um, right now. You know, we can generate a dose of CAR T-cell therapy uh, for a dog for around a thousand bucks. And when we get to market, you know, we're really looking to uh, make that about half, four, or even 10 percent of that cost right now.
1: Wait, why, why would it be so much schematically different? The, the mechanism instead of using viruses, you're using a different mechanism. But why can you do that in dogs and why can I not do that in people?
2: Right, right. So, um, there is, uh, certainly research going on right now for using gene editing, uh, to create CAR T cell therapy in humans. Um, but I guess uh, another point that I failed to mention, um, is the fact that this is all regulated via the FDA in humans, which of course uh, makes the manufacturing process, um, a lot more expensive. And so we're actually regulated via the USDA. And so it, it really only takes us, um, you know, two to three years to complete a clinical trial and get to market whereas in humans, it takes, you know, five to 10 years. And so all of those costs um, really add up to create the, the, a much more expensive therapy in humans. Um, and so really, you know, someday, of course, uh, the, the idea is that allogenic CAR T-cell therapy for humans, even though it's regulated by the FDA, uh, will, you know, the price point will drop tenfold um, or even a hundredfold. And I really think that Leah Labs is positioned to uh, kind of help influence that, uh, you know, to help d- democratize cell therapies uh, by, you know, uh, the the gene editing model that we're developing.
1: It's too bad if more people kept pet mice and loved them as much as, uh, as dogs, you know, they would have made tremendous headway by now. We've shared all kinds of stuff in mice. but um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Do you know if dogs are a better proxy for drugs and how they act in humans, or are they just as good or bad as mice? Like, any oh, sense it's a much better you proxy. Know,
2: yeah, yeah, it's a much better proxy. So again, that's that's why, um, you know, in the early 2000s, this One Health Initiative was founded by uh, the NIH and NCI, uh, just because of how, um, you know, dogs and humans share almost everything these days, right? We sleep together, we live together, eat some of the same foods, um, and, you know, we, we just share our entire lives with dogs. And so um, also a, a really big point here is that dogs get spontaneous disease. Uh, just like humans do. So in mice, you know, we have to induce disease to study it, uh, generally speaking. And so dogs actually just get the disease naturally. And that uh, is another reason why they're a really great model. Wait a minute.
1: Most diseases in mice have to be induced? They don't naturally happen? And yet people think that's a good proxy for what would happen in people? Uh, yeah, because I mean,
2: it's it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's the best that we have. So um, being able to um, induced disease in mice to then study it, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of silly that we give animals disease to try to study how to make them better, um, rather than take naturally occurring disease, um, study how to make it better. So again, uh, for CAR T-cell therapy in particular, um, you know, we have immunocompromised mice that are mutants. They have no immune system. They have to be kept in notobiotic conditions. And then, uh, what we do is we transplant tumors into those mice, human tumors into those mice, let the tumor kind of take over the mouse and then, um, then dose them with a the CAR T cell therapy and see how that CAR T cell therapy works in the mouse. Um, and so really that's just a terrible model um, for this. And so we hope that we labs will be able to uh, kind of flip the script a little bit and use dogs uh, to, to help study these things.
1: That, that just sounds crazy to me. I mean, he's picking, I mean, I know, you know, i preaching to it's falling on deaf ears. I know. I just, As you're saying this, I mean, think about that. We're using genetically modified homogenized animal models, i.e. mice and rats. We're inducing disease in them that doesn't normally happen, which should tell you that it's not likely the model will actually happen in a person. Then they're pretty dissimilar to people. And we're expecting to find the correlation between what happens in mice and in people. Yeah,
2: exactly. Kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the best that we've had for a really long time. Uh, but I think that dogs are poised to kind of help us um, change that model. Um, you know, dogs are, are dying today of, of these natural diseases. Um, and, you know, we, certainly Leah Labs does not intend to give any dogs any disease, right? Uh, we just want to take dogs that have disease um, and try to either cure them. Um, you know, of course, once we have a product that's approved, you know, we will know that we have a certain success rate. Um, and that that will be great. Uh, but also, you know, just to use the dog as an experimental kind of ethical model where they're, they're going to be dying. They're on their deathbed. We could give them the potential for life again, and then we can uh, learn from that as well. So really, you know, th- that's why we're so excited about the, this model that we're building.
1: Why not, in, in order to bolster your efforts, why not talk to certain pharmaceutical companies and say, you know, we're going to be running this in dogs anyway. The data is much more likely to help you with what you do you know, if it's a company that's working on card therapies. So, you know, we'd like a subsidy from you in order to do this because we're going to share the results with you and allow you to use it too in your, you know, eventual hopeful human trials and maybe offset your costs that way and allow you to do a lot more than you currently could do.
2: Right, right. So that's certainly uh, kind of on our, you know, the Leah Labs vision board is to um, have the leverage to be able to approach those companies. Uh, you know, we're pretty early. We just kinda launched uh, our operations in January of this year. Uh so we're we're looking to get a little bit further along in our uh, our first asset development uh before we do go ahead and approach those companies. Uh but of course, you know, um the, the big car T players like Novartis, um uh, that they, they have uh some monkey models, of course, that they use. Um however, uh, you know, we we think that the dog could be even more ethical than a monkey. Uh, for, you know, um, just those, those reasons of intelligence.
1: Well, because you operate under a different regulatory regime that's a lot quicker, a lot cheaper, a lot easier, you may be able to get things through faster and easier and, you know, and inform what they're doing.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly uh, what we hope to do someday. And so you, you, you can even do this outside of uh, the, the regulatory path as well in dogs. Uh, so veterinarians uh, are actually allowed to treat animals with anything that they want to, provided that it's uh, pure and and uh, uh, safe from bacteria um, and isn't just going to obviously make the animal sick, uh, veterinarians are allowed to give experimental treatments to dogs um, under a, a veterinary-client-patient relationship. And so that's that's really a, another strong point for uh, being able to work with pharmaceutical companies someday uh, to help build out their products um, and then also uh, you know inform how. Uh, how we move forward with, with new products as well.
1: I mean, the scope of what you could do and what you have to do is, like, really crazy now that I think about it. But, again, you've got a lot of advantages. Like, if you're going to do a trial, you can control for diet much easier in dogs than you can in people. You know, that's a complaint right. i heard from a lot of these clinical trials. Are oh, you, you can't control for diet, which I don't agree. But I, I know you can. But in dogs, it seems like it would be far easier to do that, get the compliance you want, so, I mean, what you're doing can really shed light on a tremendous amount of other uh, areas, and you know, gets your results pretty quick, we're much quicker than human trials.
2: Yeah. Yep. No, we're that's exactly why uh, you're 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 hitting it on the head. Yeah, that's exactly why we're really excited about wh- what we have going on.
1: Well, why the focus on um, on T? Why not maybe start with I don't know diet, for instance, and see how that affects? Or do you believe that 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 won't have an effect on cancer? Uh.
2: Yeah. So I think um the It'll be much easier for me to answer the why CAR-T question. So um, one of our co-founders is Dr. Saad Kendarian. Uh, He treats patients currently at the Mayo Clinic with CAR-T cell therapy. And so with his expertise, um, it was kind of a no-brainer to kind of go after CAR-T. And not to mention the fact that, you know, truly when it boils down to it, um, our co-founders are all gene editors, and we have wanted to use gene editing uh, to change the world. Uh, certainly, since I started my PhD, um, even before then, I, I worked on talent as an undergraduate um, in 2011. And so really since then, I've been dreaming about using gene editing, um, and some of our co-founders have been in the gene editing space you know, for 30 years. And so um, car T cell therapy was just kind of you know the first logical step, I guess, um, after it was proven in humans uh, to use gene editing, to create car T cell therapy, uh, for you know, all the reasons that I outlined previously on the dog as a model. Uh, but also just to be able to um, be innovating on the manufacturing platform for CAR T cell therapy. So I said, you know, uh, current FDA approved CAR T is all non or is all viral, uh viral based delivery strategies and so, you know, with us developing this non-viral gene editing platform, um it's really kind of right in our wheelhouse. And so what we develop um and patent in in that way um also can directly translate into the manufacturing process for human CAR T cells. So uh, right, really, really t cells even though it was uh, even though it's you know one of the more challenging problems um, to date in uh, in cancer uh, or at least in cancer treatments, um, we are really excited to, you know, be entering that space.
1: Well that's great. Do you have the background to be able to talk about the mechanisms uh, and how car T bricks and why?
2: Uh, yeah, that would not necessarily be my entire focus. Uh, certainly that's our CAR T founder. So I'm, I'm the gene editor and the kind of the, the leader of the company here. But, uh, just generally speaking, yeah, so, um, I, I do understand what a CAR T cell is. Uh, so CAR T cells are, uh, genetically engineered T cells. So T cells, of course, are found in, in all mammals and they help to, uh, fight off foreign invaders. And so, uh, what scientists in the 90s found out is that if you create this CAR, the chimeric antigen receptor, uh, by fusing essentially an antibody domain to the T cell receptor, um, you can then uh, reprogram the specificity of T cells to instead of uh, recognizing foreign invaders via the T cell receptor complex, uh, to recognize foreign invaders or to recognize whatever you tell them to uh, by re-engineering the antibody domain that you put on the T cell receptor. So then once the T cell receptor encounters its, uh, its target antigen, then it's able to uh, turn on the killing response that T cells have natively um, and release uh, uh, all the different you know, molecules that are able to then kill cells.
1: So this all stems from the fact that, unfortunately, cancer is good at evading the immune system, uh, and that's why you have to reprogram some of the immune cells to specifically recognize a particular cancer.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, T-cells don't normally recognize cancer as foreign. Um, and so th- this really just uh, kind of reprograms them and helps them go find and bind to the cancer cells in a, in an antibody-specific uh, way. So um, th- that's also one of the really great things about CAR T-cell therapy in general is that um, all you have to do is reprogram a single part of the CAR, the antigen receptor domain, and then you can retarget the cells to target, you know, these different shapes that are found on different types of cancer.
1: What insights have you gotten from how cancer affects dogs, you know, that would be applicable to people? Does it tend to advance in the same way? Are there any insights that you've gotten or you've heard from, you know, the investigators you work with, things that they wouldn't normally know?
2: Well, I couldn't comment on that per se. No. I mean, the, the literature for B, for B cell lymphoma in dogs, um, you know, has been developed over the last, you know, 40 or so years. Um, and, and, we we know pretty well that B-cell lymphoma um, is a really great model of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in humans. Uh, a lot of the same drivers for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in humans are are also present in dogs. Um, and of course, the the phenotype and it's, it's the same cells uh, that get sick and all of that. So um, the, those are those are really nice. Um, you know, that just proves out the model quite a bit. What's, um, what have you seen as like the outside public
1: perception? You know, when you... Talking about using animals for experimentation, it's, you know, people think other animals are abused and they're in horrible conditions and they're sacrificed, but since you're doing it to help these animals themselves, do you find that it's a much easier task and there's less resistance by groups to you doing this?
2: Yeah, so um, we have not quite attracted the attention of, uh, you know, the different animal rights groups. Um, however, I'm, um, you know, almost excited, if you will, uh, to engage those groups just because of um, how, you know, what we are doing really is this um, ethical animal experimentation, if you will. Um, so, you know, we're not giving an animals disease, we're trying to cure the disease that they already have. Um, I have, however, gotten some questions about, uh, you know, using gene editing and whether we're creating GMO dogs um, and just, you know, th- that kind of thing. Uh, and again, um, those questions excite me uh, to get because that's kind of an opportunity for um, science communication and outreach. And so really, um, you know, of course, we're not creating, you know, genetically modified dogs. Um, We are just engineering cells that go into the dogs um, and those cells, you know, are helping to cure the dog of cancer. So really, um, you know, you have to think when you're using gene editing, like all the stakeholders that are involved here. Uh, And so certainly when you are able to offer something uh, that can help someone who may be anti-GMO, when you're able to offer something that's gene modified, that can actually help them. Um, you know, of course, they're much more willing to understand and, and accept that. So we're, we're not super concerned about, um, you know, the animal rights groups being too, uh, too worried with, with what we're up to.
1: And that's the nice thing is the animals that are being used in the experiments, like you said, they already have disease. They're going to die unless you help them. You're helping them. They're going to get the benefit of the help. I mean, it's like in every way, it's just such a, a better outcome for them. You're not, turning them yep. into yep. other creatures. You're just trying to help them restore their health. So there should be, you know, again, I was naive, but there should be no outcry from animal rights groups. You're actually helping the animals. You're trying to help millions mm-hmm. of dogs, millions of dogs. Yeah?
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. I mean, uh, of course, the the, the unfortunate truth uh, with any, you know, new really uh, innovative and experimental drug is that um, potentially – uh during your research and development um you know a dog may succumb uh to the disease either faster because of what you give them or potentially what you give them um ends up causing uh them to perish but um those are just kind of you know uh, uh what happens in in research and development and of course anything uh negative that happens we're certainly going to be learning from uh, to then be able to uh move on and uh create a better therapy
1: You know, it's funny. Imagine if uh, a requirement of animal experimentation was that you could not induce illness. You could only work on stuff that naturally was occurring in the animals. I mean, that Mm -hmm. would, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. It seems like initially when I say it's a good thing, but that would at least benefit the poor animals that are giving their lives uh, you know, for new treatments instead of just being used and slaughtered and getting no benefits.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I think it would be a, a really nice kind of uh, paradigm switch to um, try to engineer health rather than engineer disease, and and uh, then try to give health to, to an animal.
1: Well, I mean, you know whatever it's worth, I personally think that's it's a great thing that you guys are trying to do I mean, for many many reasons. So that's uh, you know, kudos to you for doing that. It's, it's got a lot of great hallmarks. I think it's good stuff, in my opinion. So.
2: Yeah, great. Well, thank you, thank you. We're we're really excited as well.
1: So what, what would be some like really happy milestones for you to achieve in the
2: next you know couple of years? Yeah. So what's really exciting about what we're developing is that really in the next couple of years, we can get to market with a, a new therapeutic for dogs. Um, so currently uh, we're d- just building out kind of the, the cell engineering platform uh, before we treat our first animal um, and all the quality control that needs to happen uh, before we actually are able to put a uh, therapy into a dog. Um, but once we're actually able to then get our therapy into a dog, uh, the, the USDA path of approvals is quite straightforward. Uh, so in the next two years, um, you know, we will have treated uh, our first dogs uh, in an experimental setting um, and then also treated um, client owned animals that are actually sick. Uh, so we're really excited about that. And then, uh, you know, we'll be moving through the USDA uh, clinical trial process uh, where we just have to treat uh, 30 to 50 dogs. Uh, show that we um, are able to induce uh, a clinical response that is greater than the standard of care, uh, or I'm sorry, that, that is greater than placebo. Um, and the the great thing is, uh, there's new regulation with the USDA where we actually don't even have to uh, treat dogs with placebo. Uh, so really, all we have to do is beat a historical control uh, placebo, which is um, anywhere from 30 to 50 days of life after a diagnosis for B-cell lymphoma. So really, no dogs have to die even uh, in a placebo treatment uh, like this, which is, which is really awesome for, for our um, you know, animal rights uh, hope moving forward. And then, uh, you know, at the end of year three, uh, we should be able to be conditionally uh, approved by the USDA and ready to sell our product um, across the nation.
1: What about total cost, you know, for a clinical trial for people? You know, all the animals
2: used, et cetera. I've heard it costs you know,
1: hundreds of millions or billions. What's the price comparison mm-hmm. here for dogs?
2: Right. So we're really looking at um, only about five million dollars uh, to get us through all of R and D and all of the clinical trials needed to get this done, uh, which is you know a hundred x to a thousand x cheaper uh, than what can be done in humans for for developing new therapeutics. Uh, so that's really exciting for us. Um, and then. The, uh, you know, entering the market and scaling uh, maybe a, a few more million, uh, but really, you know, $5 million in, in R&D and regulatory costs um, is all it takes to get us to market.
1: Okay. Well, very good. So what's the best way for folks to get in touch? I got more.
2: Yeah. So uh, just uh, www.lealabs.com uh, as you mentioned in the intro. Um, and then you can find me at wes, W-E-S, at lealabs.com. And uh, we'd be really excited to talk to anyone who uh, wants to know more about what we have going on, um, and uh, anyone who thinks that we could work together.
1: That's great, Wes. Well, glad I met you. Podcasting with you, and I appreciate you being here.
2: Yeah, thank you for the time. That was a lot of fun.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious